Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of 80s Wrestling Radio. This is Tommy Fierro, joined by my main man, Jumpin' Jay. Jay, what's going on, man? Tommy, welcome back. We've been away for a a couple of weeks, and it feels good to be back live on 80s Wrestling Radio. How are you doing tonight? Good, man. I I needed a couple weeks off to regroup from uh, 80s Wrestling Con from a couple weeks back. I took two weeks off, so tonight's the first show back since the convention. And uh, anyone out there listening that was at the convention, just want to thank everyone again for coming on out. It was a big success. We had a really big turnout. All the wrestlers had a really good time. And uh, we're already planning the next one for October the 26th. So you can mark that down your calendars now, October 26th, 80s Wrestling Con 2. And we had a big show tonight, Jay. One of the guys that was at the first 80s Wrestling Con a couple weeks back is joining us on the line momentarily. He is a former WWF superstar and a very controversial figure in the late 80s. Uh, Dangerous Danny Davis will be joining us in one minute. And Jay, tell, tell me some of your memories of Danny Davis. Danny Davis, well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you this, Tommy. When I was just a young, young wrestling fan, I asked my older brother, because, you know, older brothers know everything. And I said to my older brother, I said, Jason, how come these wrestlers, these big, muscular wrestlers, listen to these referees? The wrestlers could pick them up and slam them and throw them around the ring. And my brother Jason said, the reason they listen to the referees is because everybody knows the referees are actually trained in professional wrestling and could beat the wrestlers. And I'm telling you something. Dangerous Danny Davis made my brother look right because when he crossed from referee to wrestler, I said, by gosh, brother, you were right. Look at this guy go. That is my earliest memory of Danny Davis, proving my brother's theory correct. <laughs> and I'll, t- I'll tell you my memory of Danny Davis, then we're going to get him right on the phone, is I actually remember as a kid, I was at the Meadowlands Arena. My parents would take me every month. Back then, they would they'd have shows every month. There wasn't where... You know, nowadays where they come twice a year if you're lucky. Back then it was every month and they did angles to bring people back. And I remember the main event was George the Animal Steel against Danny Davis in a steel cage match. It was the main event of the Meadowlands Arena show and it was sold out. So, I mean, Danny Davis was red hot at that time and he's joining us on the phone right now. Danny Davis, welcome to 80s Wrestling Radio. That's right. Uh, thank you, thank you, Tommy. It's good to be with you and Jumpin' Jay. I just want to get off the, this off my chest right at the beginning. I, I want everybody to know, everybody listening, that I have a new book out. Well, it's not a new book. It's about a year old, but it's Mr. X, The Life Story of Dangerous Danny Davis. And I'd like to know, let them know where to get it. They can get it, go to DangerousDannyDavis.com, 
there's a link there to order the books. There's pictures there, and, and uh, WOHW publishes uh, 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 published the book, uh, Kenny Casanova, and he has other books there that he's written, and there's pictures and everything else. And uh, and you can like me on Facebook at Dangerous Danny Davis. So that's how to get the book. I hope everybody buys it. It's an inspirational book. It's not what you expect. It's not a regular wrestling book. And I'm really, really proud of it, and I'm excited about it. And I think every fan should read this book. Okay. Absolutely. Once again, you head over to DangerousDannyDavis.com. Mr. X, the life story of Dangerous Danny Davis. I actually know Kenny. He's, he's, a, he's a good guy. And uh, anyone out there listening tonight that would like to call up and ask Danny any questions about his career, the call-in number here is area code 323 927 Two nine five three. Once again, if you want to grab a pen real quick, that number once again is three two three nine two seven two nine five three. And we're going to jump right into your career, Danny. We'll start off like this in the beginning. Nineteen eighty one, I believe, is when you first uh, made your WWF debut as a referee. Now you you were in the you were on the ring crew prior to being a referee there, correct? Yes. Well, that's that's part of. Uh... The, the the story of my uh, career was wrestling. You know, I started out in this business putting rings up. I I, I would go to shows that when it came to uh, one point there, I would go to shows. I would uh, put up chairs. I would put up the ring. I would handle concessions. I would take tickets at the door. And this is part of what the book is about. Not that I want to keep uh, hopping on the book, but that's what it's about. It's about work ethic. And, uh, you know, I paid a lot of dues. And sometimes you ask yourself, you know, how much dues do I have to pay? But man, you have to figure out what it's worth to you. How much is it worth? Is it worth doing all that stuff? And man, I paid some dues, uh, uh, not in the ring, but uh, more or less coming up through the ranks, uh, starting out just putting rings up and, and chairs up and taking tickets and whatever I had to do to make myself you know, known in the business. And that's how I got started. Now, how did that lead to you becoming a referee? Well, again, uh, as I say, uh, I would was able to and willing to do what was asked of me, no matter what it was. If I couldn't do it, then, of course, I couldn't do it. But uh, I started uh, putting the ring up, as I said, and then one night I was in Bangor, Maine, and I didn't think it was going to be a lifelong career or a very long <clears throat> job because, uh, you know, I was new in the business and stuff like that. So what I did was – I ran into Vince McMahon Jr. And I said, look, you know, I'd like to make more money here. I enjoy the job, but, you know, I'm not making a, uh, enough to make a, you know, get by. And he said, well, what do you, what would you like to do? I said, I don't know. You know, can you find something else for me to do along with what else, what everything else I'm doing? He said, sure. How about being a referee? Wow. I said to myself, you know, I didn't say that out loud, but I said, no kidding. And he, I said, I'd love to do that. And he said, all right. So the very next night we were, from Bangor, we drove down to New Haven at the New Haven Coliseum, which is gone now, but uh, it was my first night as a referee. And, of course, it was a trial. And uh, I did very well, apparently, because uh, uh, <laughs> uh, the rest is history. It went on from there. But that's how I started to be- become a referee. We are talking with the world's most famous bad guy referee, Dangerous Danny Davis, on 80s Wrestling Radio, and we have our first caller of the evening. On line number one, we have Julie. Julie, you're on the air live with Dangerous Danny Davis. Hi, Julie. Hello, Mr. Davis. Hey. What can I do for you? 
Hey, I just want to say thank you. Uh, you know, wrestling was the first exciting thing to ever happen in my life. Uh, I'd like to say that I love you and all the other wrestlers like you, but you're one of a kind. And I and I just wanted to ask, who do you think was the most influential wrestler, you know, not only during your career, but even before or after? Was there anyone that stood out to you? Mr. X. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 that's kind of a trick right there No, Mr. X was the guy who who, who uh, did all the work And taught me what I had to learn in, in the ring and, and he was one hell of a guy I wish everybody could have, have met him at the time No, in all seriousness <laughs> uh, the, My mentor was Jay Strongbow, Chief Jay Strongbow Along mm-hmm. with guys like Rick, Mc, Rick McGraw I don't know if anybody remembers him But he was from us uh, South Carolina, a hell of a worker, and uh, all the other guys that were involved sure, in the business. Draw, quick draw. Quick draw, Rick McGraw. He was one of my closest friends. And uh, he, him and I used to uh, go to spot shows when we weren't doing the WWF. And uh, we would work together, and I would work under the mask. And uh, that's how I started my career uh, as Mr. X. And, of course, it went on from there. I went into TVs for, for, for the WWF. As a, as a jobber, of course, and I wrestled some of the greats. I wrestled even wrestled Bruno San Martino and his son. It was me and the and the Brooklyn Brawler against against Bruno San Martino. Now, can you imagine a me me a guy <laughs> who just starting out getting in a ring with a guy like uh, uh, Bruno San Martino and his son? Man, that's what, awesome. what a what a high, man! What a high! I mean, it was just so. I would have to say. That that was one of my greatest influences right there because after the match, and this will if if uh, this will always be on my mind. After the match, Bruno came up to me and said, "Look, I want to talk to you in uh, Vince's office." And I thought that I had done something wrong or that I screwed up the match or he wasn't happy with me. But when I went in there, he he said, "Vince, I just brought Danny in here to let you know that you need a hundred more guys like him. He did a great job." Now that's Bruno wow. San Martino saying that about me. So you got to think wow. about that. So now tell me how that wasn't a high. I mean, how high do you go? You know. And I thought that was one of the high spots of my career, and I'll always remember that. So yeah, Danny, what, those are the Danny, people that influenced that? me. 19, was that 1984? That was 19, 2001. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I think that was around that area. It was in. Uh, uh, where was it? We were doing TVs up in New York at that time. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it was a, it was it was a, well when it when his, him and his son were teaming up there. I guess that was about the time. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. on there. Yeah, Julie, any, Julie, any Julie, any other questions you have for uh, Danny Davis? Yes, actually, is it okay for me to ask what um like what was a highlight of later on in your life? Was there something else that like you were really proud of that you achieved after wrestling? After wrestling, oh well. Uh, it's hard to top what I did in rest in my wrestling career. You know, WrestleMania three speaks for itself. And as I pointed out earlier, bringing in the ring with some of your heroes, your you know, your childhood heroes and, and working with them in the ring, I guess that would be, but, uh, I guess it would have to be that, uh, me raising my son. Uh, hmm. I raised him since he was 12. He's, he's 30 years old now and he's a great person and a great guy. And I think that would be, uh, uh something I would be very proud of. And we're proud of you. Okay. Thank you, Julie, very much for calling. Thank you, Julie. You have Thank a good you, night. Thank you, Mr. Davis. You Bye-bye. too. Bye-bye.
You know, I want to get more into WrestleMania momentarily, but one thing I want to get into first, Danny, which was pretty much was the first uh, inkling that you were going to be a bad guy referee. And it was one of the most famous and classic matches ever on Saturday night's main event. It was Hulk Hogan and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff in a steel cage match. And everyone remembers that finish where both of them came down at the same time. And Joey Morella raised Hulk Hogan's hand and you raised Paul Orndorff's hand. I mean, what an iconic moment in wrestling history that angle was, and, and you were a dead center in it. Well, what's your question? Is it? Is it? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, no question. Just, I'm just making a comment. I mean, that was such oh, a, well, an unbelievable yeah, that was, moment, you know. Isn't that something? How 30 years later you can be talking about one moment and and all that in that era. That era, in my opinion, was one of the greatest eras in wrestling that ever was. Uh, I don't sure, think it'll absolutely. ever be duplicated. I don't think it'll ever happen again. We were so everything was clicking, man. And you know who's who's gonna you got to give credit to is the fans because they they used to come out night after night. They'd come out to all the matches, you know. And I know that a lot of those people, you know, worked very hard for their money and it was very expensive for them. But they were there somehow, some way. They made it there, even if they had to come in a group, you know. And, you know, the, the the fans are the people that deserve all the credit for making that era in wrestling successful. Absolutely. And another moment also, I mean, that you can't forget is the actual creation. And, and when Dangerous Daniel Davis was born, it was the Hart Foundation against the British Bulldogs when the Hart Foundation won the WWF World Tag Team titles. And that was uh, when Dangerous Danny Davis was officially born. Yes, wasn't that something that was most that was exciting? It was fantastic. It had never been done before. Nobody has ever done that before. We did that, and uh, I got to give Brett and Jim and Jim Knight, uh, uh, Jimmy Hart, all the credit in the world for taking a guy a chance on that with me. You know, because everybody was uh, on trying to be on top then, and to give me a break and to help me with that was one of the you know them guys there. I thank them every day for that for that opportunity and the British Bulldogs too. They were, they were great guys to work with. They were, they were uh, honorable people. And uh, to do that for me, uh, you don't see that very often in, in the wrestling business. And I have to give all the, all the credit to those guys for helping me out in that respect. And by the way, Danny, I used to love how you used to powder away from Matilda back in the day as well. <laughs> you like that, did you? Well, uh, you know, oh, yeah. people come up to me today and they say, "Oh, I hated you, man. I hated you." Oh, but uh, you know, I did my job, and uh, as you know, from someone who had no wrestling background other than, you know, uh, being in the ring as a referee and stuff like that, I thought that, uh, you know, I was given an opportunity, and uh, I went with it, man, and uh, it worked, and I was capable capable of carrying it and it was a lot of weight but i wouldn't uh i wouldn't trade anything uh like that that happened in that era for anything in the world i mean it was a the high spot of anybody's anybody's career anybody's life that anybody that could experience anything like that and, and uh be successful at what we did was uh you know it's 30 years later when we're still talking about it so you know how much better can it be Danny, the, the heel referee has been done since you've done it. They, they've tried to emulate what you've done, but you were the original, um, and in my opinion, by far the best. Can you give us some insight into 
how that character developed? Was that something that happened naturally? Was that a gimmick that was given to you by creative? How did you fall into that specific role? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't planned. It wasn't something that we worked at as at the beginning. See, when I, to be a referee in that business or, or a wrestler, or any part of that business, you have to have be something or do something that's different than everybody else that nobody else has ever done. And what I used to do, and I did it by uh, sheer coincidence, that I would when I went out to that ring, I treated that match like it was you know a, a, a real thing that they would, you know, and I would call it, I would uh, uh, do the same for the baby face as I would for the heel. If they, I told the heel not to do something, I would, and the baby face did it, I would tell him to. And no other referee liked to get heat on him from the fans and stuff like that. I didn't care. I didn't even think about it, as a matter of fact. <laughs> and then before you know it, you know, they were putting me in matches, as you said, the, the Hulk Ondorf thing. They were putting me in matches that were controversial, you know, the decisions and stuff like that. And just to see if I could probably to see if I could carry it, if I could do it. And I did it. And uh, what happened was somebody somewhere said, hey, this has never been done before. And this guy's doing this. Why don't we, you know, expand on that and create a character and see how it works. And the rest is history. And that's how it started. It was not planned. It wasn't uh, something that, you know, was any years in the making it was just something that developed naturally and i guess that's why it works so well that is so interesting what what was the what was the reaction from other refs that were refing the same time when they saw you getting this push yeah well oh well they didn't know <laughs> they didn't know what to think i don't everybody was happy for me and glad for me and a lot of them said you know it's about time referees got recognized in that in that respect and and stuff like that and so it it put referees uh, uh, kind of in the spotlight too and no matter even though it, it was me that was doing the the, the wrestling and, and the refereeing and stuff like that and calling it but it the, when a, now when a referee came out and called it straight and, and you know and the baby face would go over the favorite would go over that now it was even better for for the uh, referees and they changed some things up you know they told the referee you know uh don't don't speed up your count. Keep your count, you know, on, on a regular for the bad guy or the, or the heel or the baby face. Whoever goes over, you keep the, you know, and a lot of other things, you know, keep your, yourself in position and 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 uh, they just change things a little bit. It was kind of exciting for the referees also because when they went out after I went out. You know, they got kind of a, an applaud. <laughs> the fans liked them as opposed to me. When I went out, they booed, you know. So, yeah, so it kind of helped them in a little bit, I think. And I think there were, uh, you know, there were great referees. Some, some of those referees, like, you know, the, the Hebners will always be, you know, when you say referees, they, they come to mind. Earl Hebner and, you know, his brother, Dave, they come to mind. And, and the rest of them, you know, they, they all did very well. And we've had a lot of uh, uh, guys, younger kids, you know, starting as referees in that time too. That were kind of, you know, did did a match here and a match there. And today they're they're regulars on TV. So, hey, Daniel, I want to talk real quickly. Obviously, probably WrestleMania three, ninety three thousand people with the Hart Foundation against the British Bulldog and Tito Santana was, was probably the highlight of your career. But what I what I want to ask you about is I want to get your your mind frame. Here you are. You started off at the ring crew, and then you started wrestling as Mr. X, and you were refereeing. And now you're involved in 
an angle with one of the biggest celebrities in the world at that time, Mr. T. Tell me what's going through your mind, starting off at the ring crew and refereeing, being Mr. X, to being involved in an uh, angle with one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. Isn't that something? <laughs> I can't, you know, people ask me that question all the time. Uh, how was it? How, what, did you, what does it feel like? Uh, you know, coming from nothing and starting as, at the bottom and working yourself up into something like that, where I was having a, a, an angle with, you know, with, with Mr. T. Uh, and all I can do when I when I'm asked that is answer in this way, that you have to understand that when you see opportunities or something comes up where you have a, a, an opportunity to advance yourself or you have a dream, and that's what it was—a dream. And it's coming true, and it's coming to fruition, man. You grab a hold of it, and you go with it. And as as much as they put on me, I was able to handle. And uh, I was very proud of that because it was just me. You know, <laughs> I'm a natural prick. I mean, I, <laughs> I can be I can be a nice guy, or I can be really mean, or I can be nasty. And I guess it was kind of a natural thing for me to just have that attitude and that that persona. So to, to to put myself into that, that spot, I mean, it was such a great, great time in wrestling and a great time in my life. And I can't really express to, to a lot of people what it was like to be there or what I was thinking because what I was thinking was, man, I can't believe I'm here. And, and you know, you wake up and you say, you think it's a dream or, or something like that, but it's not. It's reality. And you have to go with sure. it, man. Or, if you don't go with it, it's it's over. It's done, sure. you know. And, and and of course, I knew it was gonna. And that's another thing is a key to to the wrestling business. You gotta you gotta understand. In those days, you you everybody wanted to get you know and be on top. But they always told you the older guys always told you, as soon as you get on top, don't forget it's down from there, you know. And it's hard to stay up on top. So, and that's what happened to me. And I knew that. And when it ran its course and it was over. It was over, and I was uh, able to accept that also. Danny, how how we are visiting to work with? Uh, was he was he was he uh, was he down to earth, Mr. T at the time? Mr. T, oh, he was, uh, uh, yeah, he was down to earth, but he had his ways, you know. And I think the reason it, it never took anything went uh, never we never finished up with it is he uh, 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 didn't like the traveling part of it. You know, because being a wrestler in those days, you were traveling eight or ten. You know, you were wrestling ten times a week or something like that, and he just couldn't keep up with the uh, with the demand. You know, being a being a movie star and a superstar, you know, where they where they call you and stuff like that, it, it didn't really happen. You know, sure. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I think that's uh, part of the reason that he just you know decided that he didn't want to do that. And and the other thing is too, I'm sure he was scared shit of dangerous Danny Davis because <laughs> <laughs> and I don't blame him. <laughs> but we're, no, visiting with good guy and... most, we're visiting with the world's most famous bad guy referee, dangerous Danny Davis on eighties wrestling radio. The call in number is three two three nine two seven two nine five three. And we have our next caller on the line for Dangerous Danny Davis. This is Bill. Bill, how are you doing? Good, uh, Danny. Uh, no, that ain't yep. Danny. <laughs> this is Danny. Oh, <laughs> it, look, it is Danny. It is Danny. Oh, what are you doing, What's Bill? the host's name again? 
Jump and Jay and Tommy Fierro. Okay, there's two guys there with you. No, yes, Jumpin' Jim's on the ra- Jumpin' Jay's on the radio with me, along with Tommy Fierro. Okay, excellent. Okay, hi and, Jay and Tommy. Hello, Bill. <laughs> hey, Bill. Yeah, listen, so, I was wondering, did you ever get into any prolonged feuds, or did you have mainly, you know, spirit of night matches? I was I was fighting I was feuding with everybody. Nobody everybody wanted a piece of dangerous Danny Davis. Some of the things <laughs> I did to him as a referee, they they wanted to get back at me for for uh, oh, uh so I had open contracts. I didn't you know, I didn't uh buy steps aside for nobody. Yeah. And as we spoke of earlier, we were in the Meadowlands, you know, they put me in a cage with a guy named George the Animal Steel one night. And I got wow. the snot knocked out of me, but we were in there, and it was a sold-out show. It was one of the, one of my highlights of my of my of my career too, you know. So yeah, no, I never had no feud. I feuded with everybody. Nobody was bad for my you, wrath. <laughs> what do you call it when somebody is really rough? You know. What do you mean really rough? That was me. The yeah, shooter. Yeah, they, 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 the stiff. Yeah, yeah shooter. Stiff. Okay. Uh, who was the, yeah. the worst shooter you ever fought? Iron Mike Sharp, <laughs> without oh a doubt. Oh my God! Wow. Yeah, okay. He, yeah, him and him and uh, yeah. <laughs> when he hit you, he hit you, man. He was a tough dude, <laughs> oh. man, and there <laughs> and there was no getting around that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and hey, a lot hey, of people hey, will tell you that. Hey, Denny, what, what was what was what was harder? Was it Mike Sharp's? Hits or getting him out of the shower and out of the uh, arena. Oh, you know about that. Is that, that that's a story. that's a that's a true story. You know, we, yeah. we, he would come in and and early before the matches, you know, the door before the ring was up, and he'd start working out. And he never lifted weights. He always did, you know, uh, jump ropes and push ups and sit ups and squats and da 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 da. And he would. Be there. Sometimes he got locked. One t- couple times he got locked in the building because the people didn't even know he was there because he was showering so long. He would use a whole bar of soap for a shower per shower, yeah, and, and a whole bottle of shampoo in his hair and stuff like that. He was uh, just eccentric like that. And apparently, uh, from the, what they told me, his father was the same way. Everybody there? Hello. Yeah, I think you. I think you. I think you scared the off talking about Mike Sharp. <laughs> <laughs> Is Bill Anyhow, still there? Yeah, he's still there. Bill, you still there? No, I think Bill's gone. Thanks uh, for calling, Bill. Hey, Danny. Another thing I want to talk about is the first ever Survivor Series. Talk about uh, iconic tag team you wrestled against. First of all, you teamed with Honky Tonk Man, Ron Bass, Hercules, and Harley Race, and your opponents. And these five are probably five of the biggest 80 names in the history of WWF. It was Randy Savage, Jake Roberts, Ricky Steamboat, Brutus Beefcake, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Tell me a little about, about those five. Uh, give Just a couple words in each of them, or just a you know, quick thought. Randy Savage, Jake Roberts, Ricky Steamboat, Brutus Beefcake, and Jim Duggan. Well, you know, that's a hell of a card anywhere you go. That's, that's a, those are the headliners. Those are the main guys, man. You know, and there I am, Dangerous Danny Davis, right in the thick of things. You know, uh, all all great workers. I mean, you know, that's another thing that that I have to say that you know everybody I worked with was very uh, uh, helpful in my career. You know, they could have made me look like crap. 
you know, or they could or they could work with me, you know. And again, at that point in time, we were making money and everybody was on the same page and we we all worked well together. And I mean that sincerely. I mean, they could have, uh, you know, they can if they want to make it look like crap or they can make it look like a million bucks. And most of the guys understood that it was a business and uh, I got along with everybody. And I think they appreciated that, you know, that I would do whatever they asked me to do. I would never say, you know, oh, I can't do that. You know, a prima donna kind of thing. I would always just uh, go along with, you know, whatever needed to be done. And I would do it. And I, I think that's how I earned the respect of all of them. And I respected them. I really did. Because unless you're in there, you know, people can say what they want about these guys and what they're, but they're true athletes. And it does, it takes more than, uh, what's happening now most you know just jumping in the ring and, and running around and, and doing flips and stuff like that and them days you had to earn your respect and uh I, I did that and these guys helped me along because without their help again I, I hate to be repetitive but they can make you look like crap or they can get you over you know even Absolutely. though you're even though you're putting them over you know if they're, they're beating nobody it means nothing so yeah that's the key to work together, and that's what they did. So all of them, and Ricky Steamboat, and uh, Jake the Snake, and Randy Savage. I mean, you, you you can't believe it until you're in there with them. You know how uh, how professional and how they know that it's their business. You know, and uh, they took care of me, and I took care of them, and that's what it's all about. So that's what I have Absolutely. to say about those I don't, guys. I don't think you're giving yourself en- enough credit, Danny, because I think that you contributed a lot. And then getting these guys over as well is is big time. Well, that was my job. That's that time, that's, that's you had that, so much heat on you at that time. That's uh, exactly uh, my point. Yes, you guys definitely elevated them as as baby faces as well. Absolutely. That's right. And that was my job. If I had won a match, the guy the Danny Davis gimmick was gone. You know, <laughs> you know that was my thing. That was my stick. You know, I mean, and I did that well. And uh, yes, that's that was my point. But they have to work with you too. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, you can't just go in there and put the guy over. You got to make put him over. You got to make him. He beat somebody, and in order to do that, he has to work with you too. He has to make you look good so that he looks good. Do you understand? It's it's a psychology that you know most people don't understand, but that's how it works. It is and how so, it works, and some some people would say it's a lost art. It is a lost art. They don't they don't do that anymore. You know they don't do that. I don't know why. Uh, where it was, where it was lost, but I, you know, when I watch TV, you know, I just uh, and I don't watch it very often because I, I'm just, it's, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's a lost art, and it's a good way of putting it, yes, and uh, because nobody beats no, there's nobody out there that you know, uh, who's doing jobs, who's got heat, real heat that can put somebody over. They don't want to put nobody over. They all want to be be put over. Yeah, I guess that's how it's working. I don't know. Yeah. But it's a lost yeah. art, and and that's what I meant when I said that, that I'm glad you understood that, that we have to work together in this business, and that that's what we did. Sure. Hey, Jay, I know you got a couple more questions for Danny before we get them here, but one more thing I want to say real quick, Danny, now that you just brought that up, is it is a lost art. And, and you know, wrestling back then is so different than it is now. Now, for example, I mean, no disrespect to anyone that's on TV right now because no. these guys are phenomenal, phenomenal performers, way better than 
the generations from back in the eighties, as far as, you know, as far as physical wrestling goes. But back then everyone, you know, if King Kong Bundy walked down the street or big John Stunn walked down the street or Hercules walked down the street, hell, even if Outback Jack walked down the street, you're going to do a, a double take and say, Whoa, those guys are someone. These guys today, they're, they, you know, no disrespect whatsoever because I, I still love watching it. But if these guys were waiting online at a, at a grocery store, the majority of them, no one is even going to do a double take at them to see who they are. You know, they, they're just, you know, back then everyone was larger than life athletes, you know, are larger than life characters. Whereas today, if, you know, some of the top guys today were, you know, no disrespect to Danny Bryan. He's, he's absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal. He's super over with the audience. Everyone loves him. But if you're not a wrestling fan, and you're in, you know, if you're in Target or you're at Walgreens, you're standing on line yes. and Daniel Bryan's in, and Daniel Bryan's in front of you. If you're not a diehard WWE fan, you're not going to have any idea who that is. And that's no exactly. disrespect whatsoever. I'm just saying. But if King Kong Bundy was standing in front of you, if you didn't know he was a wrestler, you'd think he was somebody, you know. Well, you know, I, I have to take some of the blame for that because uh, what we were doing without us even knowing it, is the Sam Houstons, the Dangerous Danny Davis, the Coco Bewares, and all, and and the list goes on and on. We were smaller guys, you know, in stature than the guys who came before us. Now, you know, you talked about all those guys being bigger than life and stuff like that, but you go way back to the Black Jack Mulligans and the Jimmy Valiants and uh, – and uh, uh, Lou Albano's and the Freddie Blacks, they were big enough. I mean, they, Don Leo Jonathan's, you know, Bugsy McGraw's, they all, they, they were huge, huge individuals. You know, Jay Strongbow, uh, and, and the list goes on. Baron Sakuna, Christ, they're all six, 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 seven, you know, great big, huge guys. And then uh, the guys after them, you know, were a little bit smaller, and then now they're even smaller, and I don't know whether that's by design. Or you just don't have that 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 large, bigger than life uh, persona, and you know it brings me to a point that that is what uh, Vince and his family are looking for: someone that can walk to an airport and people look and say, "Wow, look at the size of that! Look at that guy! Someone who notices notices them." And if they find that guy, uh, the Hulk Hogan Hulk Hogan was was that guy. But if they find that guy, that one special guy that has that that persona and has that that connection with people, you're going to see another uh, era in wrestling that will, will uh, make history. But Danny, even even back then in the '80s, you and Coco Beware, in my opinion, and I'm sure Jay is being also, you guys were larger than life characters as well. It just it was just, yes, yes, I, I, I understand, yes. I don't know what don't that know is. What do you think? What do you think that could be? I mean, is it just because it's? I don't know. Because it's been exposed so much, and or are they just not, just not in that league? Yeah, I, just, I don't know. I guess it's, it's just so different now than it was then. But like, I wasn't even talking about size-wise. Because oh. I mean, here you go, thirty years later, Coco Beware, Dangerous Danny Davis are still two icons of the '80s. You know, so yes, I just, I just that's so what I. That's now. a good point. Yes, that's a good point. I don't think anybody will be talking about the WWE thirty years from now like we're talking about the the the, the people in my era, the George Steels. The Randy Savages, the Honky Talk Man, the Bulldogs, Bret Hart, Jim Jim Knight Hart, you know, it, it, it just won't happen. No, and, I, and I agree I with you. And I guarantee you, also, thirty years from now, a, 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 a young kid right now that's going to a, a house show 
right now in 2019, 30 years from now, it's not going to say, hey, I remember 30 years ago, Seth Rollins and, and, and uh, Drew McIntyre was the main event. Like I just told you at the beginning of the show that Dangerous Danny Davis and Jersey Animal Steel was the main event. It, it just, in my opinion, is just so different now than it was. It's, a, it's a lost art. I guess we, we hit on it earlier. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame because the wrestling business is part of my life, part of your life. And, you know, but the fans are still there, I guess. I don't know how. You know, I I hear that the the houses are down, the TVs are down. The, you know, the, the, the that their uh, ratings are down and all that stuff. So maybe it's coming to an end. You know, maybe it's got to start at the beginning again. I don't know. I don't know. But it's a multi-billion-dollar uh, company. And when I started, you know, uh, few people know this, but you know, uh, a lot of times they were in danger of being bankrupt. You know, uh, because it wasn't. Uh, but it just took off. When it did, it went big, and it was done right, and I was just glad to be part of it. And I hope that, you know, the fans, again, I keep going back to the fans, but even the guys that I worked with, the Macho Man Randy, Honky Tonk, all those guys knew that the fans were the key to to our success. And that's why we, you know, I was told when I first started out as Mr. X that, you know, those people pay their hard-earned money, da-da-da-da-da, the whole whole night. And if you don't go out there and give 100% every night, you're not going to get over. And so when I went out there, if there was 10 people in the crowd or 10,000 in the crowd, I would give the same match. I would give 110%. And the guys that were on top and knew that and had that, that, that work ethic were the guys that were making the money. Absolutely. Ladies, ladies and gentlemen, we were just talking about larger-than-life characters, and I believe we have one on the line with us. I believe we have Vito. Vito, are you there? Yes, sir. I'm here. Hey, Vito. What's up, man? Hey, Vito. What's going on? Dangerous Danny Davis here. Dangerous Danny. I know you from a long time ago. Big fan. We worked together down at the WWE. The J-Bo, who was handling the phone calls, didn't know who the hell I was. Imagine that. Okay, like I'm some fan. Like I'm going to call in. I I called up to talk to Danny Davis. I called up because of my Tommy, my boy Tommy. And besides this, this used to be my show. Tommy, where are you getting this personnel from? <laughs> hey, Danny, wow. this, is, uh, this, is, this is big Vito LaGrasso on the phone here. What's up, Vito? How you doing, Vito? Doing you, you, you working, brother? Yeah, I'm still doing the podcast, and I'm still doing my stuff. You know, doing wow. business at home. You know, how wow. you been, Danny? Everything doing good? Everybody, you know, everybody's treating me good. That uh, you, you know, you might want to talk to Tommy a little bit, straighten him out. But the, <laughs> other than that, maybe we can get a match going here. <laughs> well, I mean, Danny, did he short you on pay on the '80s reunion show? I mean, well, I expect that. Like I, ex- I expect that. You know, promoters. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. He, he turns he turns a leaf every now and then, Danny. You know, yeah, first he wants yeah, to be he, your buddy, then he talks stuff. Oh, he, he, he talks smack after a while. Right? He, he talks smack once he gets to know you, right? Finds out what a piece of shit you are. <laughs> I'm telling you, Danny. But uh, hey, uh, I'd say something for the for the people out there. You know, yes. Danny Davis, Dan, back in the day, before I started wrestling, and I was watching wrestling as a fan, he really got into his character because he was the dirty referee who turncoated on everybody. And then when they actually put him into wrestle, people didn't realize that referees were wrestlers too and he could wrestle. And Danny did an excellent job as a wrestler, you know, coming up and doing his thing and working in different angles and programs. 
Yeah, Vito, you know what I'm talking about when I say you got to work together in that ring, you know, and, exactly. to make it happen, man. And that, that's what uh, that's what was going on back then. And uh, a lot of people that's and we were talking about that. It's a lost thought. What are your what are your th- thoughts on that, man? It definitely is a lost thought today. And I tell you what, there's a lot of spot monkeys out there. The athletes are different today than when, from when we were wrestling full time. They're a lot more athletic, but they lost the they lost the art of the craft and how to work the people and how to work the crowds. I just think it's from the lack of territories. I think it's from the lack of you know learning the business on the road. You know you can only learn so much in a training facility, but then when you don't have the people to teach you what's going on in the wrestling world like it used to be, and you're just doing spots to do spots to get the cheap pop in the crowd. And that's nothing right. means anything. I mean, Jim, right. what do you got out there? And that's the that's the game that it is today. Well, I I did a show a little while ago, and I went out under a mask just to fill in because somebody didn't show up, and I had my gear with me as as a, a professional always does. And I went out there and I tried to do the Danny Davis gimmick, you know, and and nobody bought it. I mean, <laughs> nobody knew what was going on. And then uh, the the match was going so fast. You know, it was no no story there at all, no storyline. I tried to develop a story, you know, and they just did, they they were lost. So I just tagged out and I stood there and watched the match, and it was over like in three seconds. Everybody was doing spots, and and then you, you know, they they're throwing you off the top rope, they they're suplexing you, they're drop kicking you, they all this stuff, and then they get up and they don't even sell it, you know. So it is, it's. And that's that's what's wrong with this business today. Like you say, it's the cheap spots, but they they have they don't tell any story. There's no storyline to it. And I, and I think you hit on it, Vito. It's just it's a, it's a, these spot shows that anybody can put on a pair of boots and a pair of tights and go out there and do these spots. But uh, very few people are getting over. I mean, yeah, you, know, you want to you want to know what the what the problem is, and like you know, you look at it now. The best education you can have is being an enhancement talent. Now, I broke in in my rookie year. Yes. Danny, you know who Johnny Rods is. And he's the one yes, Johnny Rods, one of the greatest workers of all time, man. He broke me in the business. In my first year, I was on, I started going to WWF TVs in 1991. I broke in in 90, in late 90. First, as soon as the ter- clock turned 91, I was on TV. Working right. with the Rockers, Bret Hart, the Boss Man, Typhoon, Tatanka, Legion of Doom. You're talking like the guys who were pros, and they didn't treat me like a J-Bo or have me dressed in the dressing room. I walked in the dressing room. I handled myself as a pro. Everybody knew I was Johnny's boy, and I knew how to work. And yes. those guys taught me and teached me the game. And then when I was on the Indies and I was working with Tommy Jeanette and Johnny Rods and, you know, for, for – uh, you know, with those guys, I worked with Ted Petty and Cousin Luke and S.D. Jones and Bill Eady and the Honky Tonk Man and yes. Jimmy Snooker. You yes. talk about guys who took and taught you. You know, yeah, I can't right. tell you how many times, you know, I work with Sergeant Slaughter, you know, on one-on-one. And these guys let you have offense and even treat you bad. They let you work. And there I was. In my first years working live TVs on the Monday night on the Monday night roars, like in the very very beginning from the Manhattan Center. That's and right. You, I was yeah I was at the Manhattan Center a couple of times. Sure. Yeah. 
yep. and that's and that's where the lost art is because you don't get that kind of tutelage and you don't get that kind of training and everybody says ah it's bullshit well all the guys like you when you were breaking in told the old guys that this is bullshit and then when the old guys you know moved on and then you became the old guy the new guys coming in and saying ah this is bullshit but then if you had to go and have a solid match and if you knew how to mat wrestle which nobody does anymore but yep. I mean, you knew how to shoot and you knew how to do stuff like that. People look yep. like you have craze. But go to Japan well, and you know what you're doing, and have a solid match. These guys would they would go home if they had to train Japanese style. You know, Johnny Rods. You know what he used to say to me when I was Mister X. We'd go out and work together. Here's, here's, here's the match. I kicked the shit out of you. You kicked the shit out of me. We go home. That's all he said. And that, we'd have a 15, 20-minute match out of that. and Because I understood what you're talking about. Because he taught you how to work, how to work a crowd, the psychology, the moves, exactly. when to go, when not to go, you know, and et cetera, et cetera. It's a learning experience every time you go in that ring, especially with a guy like Johnny Rods. Man, he was a mechanic. He was a machine. He'd work with anybody, man, anybody. And uh, yeah. he was a, an underrated wrestler. No, he wasn't. You know what? Like, you hit the nail on the head when you said there's going to be that one guy who's going to be that next special person. You know, there's a handful of guys, and I can tell you that Danny knows, and he comes from the era before me, but there's only those so many guys who get the brass ring, who get to be the Rock, Stone Cold, Hulk Hogan, the Warrior. But then you have the guys who are the workers and the guys who can put on the card, up and down the card. You know, and those are the guys who are most important to the business because without those guys, you could work. Okay, Vito, we're going to put you in a championship match. You're going to be last main event. All right, Vito, you're going to be opening match. You're going to do this. So we're going to put you in a tag team. You're going to do hardcore. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. Yes, yes. That's what Johnny Rods taught me to be versatile because if you're versatile, you know, the business, you could work work with anybody. That's right. That's right. And exactly. then, you know, when you said uh, when you said believable, Brock Lesnar is the only believable guy that WWE has today. Braun Strowman is ruined. They made him a joke, and they made him a they made him a fool. The Roman you know Reigns, why? they try to build. Go ahead. They, they do that. They do that to guys to kill them off. Because see what's happening now, in my opinion, is if you you know you you become a, a superstar and shit like that, you you know. And somebody like this, uh, all elite wrestling comes out. You're gonna go. You're gonna go with them. You know. So they they wow. they build you up, so they and and get you over. So you're making money for them. But as soon as you're done with that, you know, and it's been that way, you know, throughout history. But you always had somewhere else to go. They would they bury you because no, you know you're... they don't. They want to kill you with the fans. Hey, Vito, I couldn't agree agree with you more, Vito. A a year ago, Braun Strowman was about to be the hottest guy in WWE, and they had him team up with an eight-year-old at WrestleMania. Then he he lost three times in a row clean to Brock Lesnar. I mean, they they just totally destroyed his his momentum. They buried him, yeah. Yeah, they they used to call him burying him because they they didn't want him to go out and make money somewhere else or, or you know, Say, look, I'm leaving, and I'm going to go here, or I'm going to do independence, or anything else, because you know. Then they say, well, Von Strowman, Christ, he lost every match. But you know, I don't know if that can work today or not. But I think that's what they, you know, that's that was that's their plan. 
you got guys right now who everybody's in the B the B section. Nobody's an A player. You got guys like Elias. You got a you got a Bray Wyatt. You have you know I'll, I'll just name those two. Those guys should be major players, but they build them up, build them up, knock them down. Braun Strowman has been built up. And That's right. He had his time. You know the tag team they let go and they had so much promise and they were at the height of their that build was Enzo and Taz. And when they teamed with Cena and they went to WrestleMania, everybody in the house expected them to win the titles because they were that hot and they were the big merch guys. And then what happened? They gave it to the Hardy Boys and crushed them. That was it. That's it. That's right. You know, I have, I have a question for both of you guys. Now, do you think this is because they want WWE, the actual letters, to be bigger than any of the wrestlers themselves? That's the way it looks like to me. Back then, it was Hogan that was bigger than WWE. Now it's WWE that's bigger than any of the wrestlers they have now. It's the egos of the McMahon family. You turn on the TV now, it's the McMahon show, in my opinion. You know, everybody wants to be on the mic. Everybody wants to be in a ring working. You know, Vince's father used to have a theory that never, ever go into that ring as a, as a promoter or, or a bit or an owner of a company. You know, because that's where. That's where uh, Vern Gagne is. The Gagne is, you know, hurt themselves, you know, and the uh, and the other uh, co- companies down down in Texas, the Von Erickson, because if you were Von Erick, they knew you, you know, you were going to win, you know, you're going to be the champion, and that's bad because of the egos happening, uh, and it, it's such, uh, you know, I was on the inside too with the with the McMahon's. I'm not knocking anybody, but. That's the way it is. You know, it's just an ego trip for them guys. You know, they made billions and millions of dollars on, on, on us. And, uh, and, uh, and they're, they're billionaires now. And we're not. We're not billionaires. So no, that's, that's the nature of the business. And they say to me, well, why did you get in it if it was such a dirty business? And I always say, because I, my love for performing, I love to perform. By the time you knew what was going on, you had 10 years invested. And Johnny Rizzo has said, you're not going to know what you're doing until 10 years in the business. And even after then, you're still not going to know. And he that's was right. right. And I, and that's why a lot of guys, you know, got smartened up and got out of the business. They made their money and they got out. And that, that was uh, uh, the reason for for a lot of guys leaving because they knew that, you know, that was the nature of the business back then. And, uh, so they made their millions and they got out, and uh, that's that was a smart thing to do. But uh, you, you, you know, talked early, you talked earlier about these guys, you know, the guys that were doing the jobs for everybody. You know, they call them jobbers in my day, but you know, and and they're the guys that put these guys over, as Vito said. You know, without guys putting you over, and 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 even you said it, uh, 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 Tommy. You know, without guys to put you over, to get you over, and make you look good and stuff like that. You're nothing, and those guys today still aren't making the money. You know, the, the guys that they got over are making the money. The you know the the big stars and stuff like that, and and guys that put all these guys over the jobbers. You know, the Barry Howards, the Danny Davises, the Coco Wares, and all those guys, Sam Houston's. You know, they deserve deserve more credit than they get, and it's a it's a shame that more people don't recognize that. No, you're right. S.D. Jones, a Jim, a Jim Powers, right. I'm lucky yeah. in the business, Danny, because I started out. I started out as a job boy, but hey, we all did. We all did, but business. that's that's the key. Nobody yeah. does that anymore. No, 
and that's how you learn the business, and that's how I became Big Vito LaGrasso, and I went to Japan, and I went to Puerto Rico. I traveled to the different territories in the 90s when I got, because that was the last of it. And then when I got my break in ECW, WCW, TNA, and I went full circle back to the WWE, and I went as somebody. Hey, that kid used to be Von Crush. They used to, and you know how many Skull Von Crush fans there still are because it was a cult following. And because, yeah, yeah I was that German on there. How many, yeah. and I don't know if you remember, Danny, but when I had the big boss man match, and boss man told me, do your high Hitler, kid. Do the high Hitler on TV. I said, are you yeah. sure? He goes, yeah, go ahead and do it. But that got real heat, and that got something. Because these yeah, guys right. wanted you to get it because they wanted, the, they wanted the big, to be the hero. They wanted to give you something to make you something. That's right. That's the whole idea. Today, everybody wants to be the big guy, the big hero. Everybody wants to get over. Yep. Well, anyway, we we beat that 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 to death. <laughs> I think everybody right, gets guys, the idea. Listen, I just wanted to I just wanted to pop on to say hello. I didn't mean to steal anybody. Vito, uh, you didn't steal another man. It's good to talk to somebody who knows the business. You know, I'm Tommy and 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 uh, Jumping Jay here. Know the business pretty good too. I'm very surprised at the, the, their their knowledge of the business. But you know, unless you, you know, have a career and, and it's a, it's a little bit different, you know. And it's good to talk to you. You know, maybe we'll run into each other someday and we'll have a sit down Sounds and maybe good. we'll go to lunch. Sounds good. I really I really would enjoy that very much. Maybe Tommy uh, will book me sometime. You know, since I <laughs> I went to his bar mitzvah and everything. You know, I mean. Yeah, maybe, anyway, maybe, guys, <laughs> maybe. All right, guys, listen, I got to run. Uh, Thank you very All right, much, Vito. Man. Thank you again, you man. Enjoy the rest God of the day, guys. Talk to you soon, man. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Yeah. All right, and that was Vito LaGrasso. Hey, Danny, we're, we're going to wrap things up. I just wanted to thank you again. Uh, it was a really, really uh See, that's what happens when you get two, two wrestlers together, man. You never shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, uh, anyone out there listening, head over to DangerousDannyDavis.com. And uh, pick up a copy of his book, Mr. X, The Life Story of Dangerous Danny Davis. I'll sign it for you and ship it right out to you. Danny, anything you want to say to any of the fans that are listening before we uh, we wrap up? Yes. I just want to say thank you for all the years, you know, that you you helped us along and followed me and came out there at the 80s. Uh, WrestleCon a couple of weeks ago down there in New Jersey, the Freehold. Man, it was great seeing you guys. Again, I don't know. You guys are pretty close to being the greatest fans I've ever met, but, well, I don't know. New York may have you. <laughs> but listen, everybody out there, again, really, seriously, thank you very much. Tommy, you're the greatest. Jumping Jay, it's, it's been a pleasure being with you, man. And don't forget, this is the world-famous bad guy referee, Dangerous Danny Davis. And it's good to be on the radio with you guys. And uh, thank you for staying up late and talking to us. I know it's probably no past problem. Any time, man. Definitely past ours. <laughs> All right. Any, thank you. Anytime. Thank you so much, Danny. All right. Thank you, man. Uh, have a good night. You too. All right. And there Ten you four. Dangerous Danny Davis. Once again, you can pick up a copy of his book at dangerousdannydavis.com. Mr. X, the life story of Dangerous Danny Davis. Interesting cat, man. Huh? That guy's got quite the story. And you know what? Uh, looking at his website, all about his book, like he said, it's not just uh, an autobiography. It is an inspirational tale because here is a guy who came from the streets and everything he accomplished in life, he got through hard work, dedication, and sweat. And that's the kind of message he wants uh, young readers of this book to take home that you can chase for your dreams. You can accomplish great things, but it's not going to be handed to you. You got to get off the couch. You got to put in the work.
Absolutely. And, uh, Jay, you put in the work a couple weeks back at Edie's Wrestling Con. Jay was the host of not one, but both of the question and answer sessions. One was with the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, and the other was with the Nasty Boys, Lenny Papo, Rocky Johnson, and a few others called the uh, the Good, the Bad, and Ugly of 80s Wrestling. And you did a great job, Jay, and it was, it was a pleasure to have you up here in New Jersey uh, for it. Oh, bless you, Tommy. It was it was an amazing event. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to meet some childhood heroes, to share a stage with them. I had more than one uh, pinch-me moment where, where I'd be talking to a wrestler, and i just have to – the 10-year-old voice inside me was going, those are the nasty boys that you're casually having a conversation with. Uh, and so thank you, Tommy, for the opportunity to come down, to be a part of the Wrestling Con, and to meet some childhood heroes. Well, you said once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Well, it's going to be twice-in-a-lifetime opportunity because on Saturday, October the 26th, we're going to do it again. We're going to be returning to I Play America for 80s Wrestling Con 2. Uh, once again, Saturday, October 26th. We're still working out all the details as we speak, but I will give you a little bit of information uh, for the event right now, Jay. This is an exclusive right here on 80s Wrestling Radio, already uh, agreed and uh, and signed up to appear at 80s Wrestling Con 2 on Saturday, October the 26th at I Play America in Freehold, New Jersey, will be the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, with Virgil. Oh, my goodness. That's going to be a cool photo. I'm not only going to get a picture with the Million Dollar Man, but with his bodyguard, Virgil, as well. Virgil and the Million Dollar Man together for photo ops at 80s Wrestling Con 2 on Saturday, October the 26th. Also appearing at 80s Wrestling Con 2 will be former WWF World Heavyweight Champion, Sergeant Slaughter. Ooh, Sergeant Slaughter. He's a Minnesota boy. You know that. Yes, sir. And also appearing at 80s Wrestling Con 2 is another former WWF World Heavyweight Champion, Bob Backlund. Oh, my goodness. Look at all these title these title uh, carriers that you're bringing into the Wrestling Con 2, buddy. Well, we could talk about more titles, too, because former WWF World Tag Team Champions Axe and Smash Demolition will be at 80s Wrestling Con 2. Here comes the Axe. Here comes the Smash. Walking Disaster. Demolition. I love it. And 2019 WWE Hall of Famer Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Cutting and strutting his way into 80s Wrestling Con 2, The Barber. That's quite the yeah, lineup we have already, Tommy. <laughs> yeah, so far so good, man. We're working on more as we speak, so uh, more information on 80s Wrestling Con 2 will be available in the upcoming weeks. Um, bear with us on the website. The website still has the uh, April 27th event. We just needed a couple of weeks to just unwind and, and, and relax, but we're going to get that updated in the upcoming weeks, along with another project we're working on, 80sglowgirls.com. Uh, that should be up probably within the next week or so. 
Uh, we're going to be doing some personal appearances and special signings with the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. You had a good time uh, working with them at the convention a couple of weeks back, huh, Jack? How good of a job did those ladies do during their Q&A? I was blown away uh, by how well received by the fan base they were, how many people hung around to ask them questions, and the quality of questions asked and answers given. The Glow Girls yeah. did a heck of a job, man. They did, too, because they, they went on last, and I was surprised at how many people actually stood around. And Not that they, they weren't kind of because – you know, I don't mean it that way, but, I mean, it was a long day. Everyone was waiting online. Uh, you were there, Jay. The place was packed. So people were waiting online for a very long time for the opportunity to meet our guest. Uh, but, you know, they stuck around and they waited to, uh, you know, go to the question and answer sessions. They got the opportunity to see Kobe Works, a pile driver, bring the Hammer Valentine's figure four challenge. There's a bunch of different activities, and uh, they stuck around for Glow. And, yeah, they did great, and, and you did as well. And one thing I want to give away for – 80s Wrestling Con 2 is one of the activities we're going to be doing uh, this time will be, since it's a few days before Halloween, we're going to do an 80s Wrestling Halloween Costume Contest at 80s Wrestling Con 2. How cool is that? That is a fantastic idea. And uh, even though you did not have a costume uh, contest at this most recent one, there were a lot of fans that showed up in costume. So I think you're on to a big oh. idea here. Oh, yeah. I saw him. I saw Macho Man. I saw Roddy Piper. I, saw, oh. I, think, I, I think I saw a couple Roddy Pipers and a couple Macho Mans. Um, but, uh, yeah, and we're in the 80s Wrestling Halloween Costume Contest at 80s Wrestling Con 2. More information will be available, like I said, on, on the convention in the upcoming uh, weeks and months. Uh, until next week, uh, we're going to be uh, coming back next Monday night. And I'm working on something. If it goes through, it'll be a pretty cool uh, guest next week. I want to uh, say yet, just in case it doesn't go through, but I'm working on something. And if it does go through, it'll be pretty cool. That's quite a cliffhanger, man. I can't wait to find out uh, who you may or may not get for us next week. But it, we'll, we'll announce it on uh, our Instagram, at 80s Wrestling, uh, as soon as we find out. But until next week, thank you very much for listening. And uh, it's good to be back. Good to hear your voice again, Jay. And uh, we'll catch you next week right here on 80s Wrestling Radio.